Hey, Tech Leads. Today we're going to talk about how you see your job and what you can do to take different actions to see it differently as a true tech leader. Welcome to the Tech Lead Coaching Podcast. My name is Michael Rice, and every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, I try to bring you some useful stuff you can put to use today to make you more effective in the role, whether you're brand new or you're highly experienced. Tech Leads, we're halfway there, Tech Leads. It's Wednesday. The month is October. The day is 23, and the year is 2019. And this is episode number 65. I think I messed up on the numbers. It was bound to happen eventually. Tech Lead Coaching Podcast is a podcast for early tech leaders like you. Whether you're a tech lead, a hands-on engineering manager, or even a startup CTO, I feel like you need a podcast like this because first-line tech leaders and manager roles are pretty challenging, but a huge opportunity in your career. My goal is to bring you clarity on what you're supposed to do, certainty in how you do it, and confidence that you're going to be successful. Remember, the new structure of these podcasts is that I'm going to float some ideas to you here that you can put to use right away in your tech leadership, but really it's kind of a a sounding board for me to work up what actually works its way into a letter that I deliver Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on Substack at michaelrice.substack.com. It is now free. It used to be uh, a paid newsletter, but it's free now. So get on the list. All right, before we get into today's topic, I thought I'd do something a little different and go through some of the articles that kind of hit my email inbox or Twitter feed or whatever. And today we're going to start with two from InfoQ, that's spelled just like you think, InfoQ. They have like a number of good articles. I've been on the list forever. My only problem with them is sometimes you get the articles and, well, you get the links, but really the link is more like a presentation or a PowerPoint or something. And so it, it can drive me a little crazy, but they do have some good content if you spend some time with it. Um, one of the ones they had today was actually one of their top um, top subject line items on SLOs, or service level objectives. And I don't know, maybe it just tailored it to my kind of interest, but, but that was the first one for me. And it's an article by Charity Majors. And the idea is, at least as I understand it, is to... Um, as you're building an engineering team or um, or organizing teams, is to define service level objectives, not SLAs. These are SLOs. The idea being that, well, kind of my high level understanding of the idea is that, you know, you pick like certain metrics that you're going to deliver. And by implementing these SLOs, you can use these to put up quote unquote perimeters around your team, which well, says a lot of things, but one of them is put perimeters around your team to like tightly control what's coming in, what's going out and what the boundaries of the team are. And you know, I'm already going to have some issues with that um, just based on the language alone, but don't let that, don't let me dissuade you from the article. It's because it's pretty interesting. Um, But the idea, one of the fundamental ideas in her article, at least as I understand it is to avoid kind of clashes and mismatches between engineering teams and other groups. And I actually quote from it at length here. It says these kinds of clashes are extremely common among or between engineering teams and management, as well as among different engineering teams. They are all various manifestations of a single issue, the need for a better abstraction layer for people and teams who are trying to interact or collaborate with your team. That abstraction layer is called the service level objective. Now, 
I don't know. I think that that might be very appealing to you. So I so pay attention or you know read the article. I'll link to it in the show notes. But I don't. You know, if you know me, you don't. You know, I don't like the idea of defining abstractions among humans or using processes to avoid disagreements. I think um, it just pushes the problem below the surface, and it can erupt in really nasty, unexpected ways. And also, like honestly, I'm just not really sure how to operationalize it. It seems like you'd be arguing over other abstract ideas like like we do today about tech debt. But maybe I'm missing the point. So I definitely want you to read it. It's worth a read. It's got a lot of interesting nuggets in there. And some of you are really strong on process or these kind of abstraction concepts. And even though they're not really my thing, just keep in mind I'm obviously not the only path out there. So it's not a bad thing. And she's obviously had some success with it, or I believe she has. So definitely take a look. Um, the other article is a presentation with a transcript from Randy Shoup. I think that's how you say his last name. He's the VP of engineering at WeWork. Um, luckily it doesn't talk about the trouble that WeWork's having right now, but as I understand it, I think that he has, um, over a thousand developers globally. If I read the article, right, which is, I thought was pretty surprising, but, but maybe I misread it, but he talks a lot about how to, or the whole point of the talk is how to create high performance remote teams, which I think is, is pretty topical right now. And, um, you know, he makes a number of points. I'll just kind of highlight a few of them. One is that he makes the, I think the absolute correct point that you, when you're hiring remotely or remote first, you can hire all over the world, which is pretty cool. It's pretty amazing when you do it. And his, um, he's got this great quote that says, uh, talent is evenly distributed, but opportunity is not. Um, I obviously totally agree 1000% that opportunity is not evenly distributed. I don't necessarily agree that talent is distributed evenly. I think there's some serious gaps geographically and culturally, but, but it's a problem, but it's, it's a good, the point is I think well taken. Um, he's got some provocative ideas that you might want to read about how you're going to pay people. So if it's remote first and you're going to pay San Francisco wages or Bay area wages, are you going to pay that to everybody? <laughs> Right. So that's a that's a really interesting point, like interesting to think through what the principles are and what you're going to do there. Um, He's got a great discussion on some of the ideas from Paul Graham's old maker schedule, manager schedule blog post from, I think, 2003 um, and how important it is if you've got people working remotely to to really think through how meetings are going to be structured, when they're going to be, et cetera. Always a hot topic for folks. Um, there's a great discussion on communication, which of course is, you know, I, I always try to hammer on that one. Um, and, uh, one of the sub points in there, I thought it was really great. He calls out Steve McConnell, who I don't know how many of you read, have read Steve McConnell, but he wrote, wrote code complete. Um, I think he wrote making things happen and a few other really great books, early books on, you know, the software development process and project management and et cetera. Really definitely good stuff. Um, a lot of it, might sound a little dated today, but the concepts are really good. Anyway, he's got um, this concept of the half-life of trust. So it's one of my favorite points. He says, if if you had like 100% trust and you, you know, with somebody, like let's say a manager and an individual contributor, and for some reason you don't hear from that manager for like six weeks, your trust in them might drop 50%. And then if that continues it'll drop to 25% and then 12 and a half and six and whatever. And you get the point, right? So the, the amount of trust drops really rapidly as communication stops. 
So um, that's just kind of a foundational point that I definitely need to include in, in my revision of my book. All around, it's a really interesting read. It's definitely TLDR. It's a very long. Um, but if you got the time and you're really interested in you know doing something with remote teams right now, definitely something to read. Um, one more post uh, to talk about is from, an, I think it's Anaxi. I don't know how to say it. Anaxi, A-N-A-X-I. They're actually, a, they sell uh, some kind of product management uh, a product project management tool. Pretty, I think it's pretty good stuff. But their email list is really good to get on. I really like it. And they link to somebody named, K- I'm going to say it wrong. I hope it's Kivi or KV McGinn, McMinn's story. She wrote a blog post about staying very, you know, about technical leadership and staying highly technical. And I wanted to call it out here because it's a very different brand of tech leadership than I talk about here, or at least I believe it to be based on the way I read it. But I think a lot of you are curious about this particular path of tech leadership, and I totally ignore it all the time because I just really don't have that much to say. But it, it just, it's hard to summarize exactly what she said, but, um, but it's interesting because what she's basically doing is shifting the focus from what I think of as a normal tech lead kind of day-to-day working on something to, or to something working more strategically, kind of like a almost like a force multiplier individual contributor. I know that's not, I know that term gets overused, but it's really like a career path to growing into a kind of a tech leader who's not necessarily doing the close in day-to-day individual leadership that I try to, you know, coach you on and, and help you out with on this blog and in the letter. So it's kind of like maybe taking you out of the day-to-day in the trenches kind of combat to actually more of like a military intelligence style role. I think she's actually in what's called the office of the CTO for the company she in. And it's definitely something I'm seeing a lot more of as a career path for in, um, impactful individual contributors is to kind of go into this like quasi CTO role or office of the CTI CTO role to really just kind of think through next level of stuff. Now for me, I really love the emphasis on leading and inspiring other people, which is something I want you to see yourself as because I think it's rewarding and I think it's something you kind of have to do at that first level of leadership. But, you know, like I said before, I'm not the only path and there are different paths through this. So Kiwi might have a path for you that's much more exciting. And it's like, like I said, kind of evolving from an in the trenches kind of tech lead to something that's more about you know, moving at a different cadence than the rest of the team, thinking a few steps ahead of the engineering teams, really like driving that next level stuff, that next level um, technology contribution. So I don't know. I think she actually says a lot more than that. But I thought her thought process around the choice between a people being a people manager and staying uh, as one of these like high impact ICs is pretty interesting. So I'll link to that as well. All right. On to today's content. So I want to continue talking about Herminia Ibarra's book um, called uh, Act Like a Leader, Think Like a Leader. And we're kind of moving into, it's, a very, it's actually a pretty short book. We're going to move into some of the, the next chapters. And the idea being in this one that I'm going to talk about is really changing the way that you see your job. And I think this chapter is super important because it starts with the idea that too many of us, even in management roles, are just too often in this kind of full reactive, she calls it an operational mode. We're reacting to demands from product managers. I mean, this is me talking about the tech lead role. We're reacting to demands from product managers, customers, constituents, other teams, ops, QA, community pull requests. It's, it's just crazy, right? 
And honestly, how does all this like reaction to all this stuff, how does that even feel like leadership? I remember complaining and whining to somebody years ago that my job wasn't about leadership, quote unquote, because it's all about being reactive and just trying to stay on top of things. And in retrospect, I was like 100%, 1000% wrong. And sometimes I wonder, as I think back to that conversation, if the person I was saying it to was rolling her eyes on the other side of the phone, because I was definitely having a bad day. Of course, of course, it was my responsibility to find a way to lead myself and my team out of that reactive mode. But I was just so buried in it at the time. I didn't see it that way. So let me say that again, because it's a super important point and a super uh, hard won insight, I think, that cost me a ton of sleep, frustrations, complaints, and who knows how many years of my life it took off. It's, it's just too easy to fall into that negative cycle where you're fully reactive, you're blaming your managers, you're blaming other teams, your own developers, the crappy computers and deployment environment IT gives you, and the endless red tape to pull down some open source repos if you have to work in some regulated industry like financial services. There's just so much stuff you can blame. At any given moment, on any given day in your job, there are probably two dozen things that would convince you to just close your laptop, pack up your toys, call it a day, and head to the nearest happy hour. Part of your job as a tech lead or EM, even if leadership is only 10% of your job and you're still highly technical, however, is to actually lead, not just react. I spent way too much of my time in my life reacting, thinking that that was what I was supposed to be doing, and I was wondering why my peers seemed to be getting better rewards or results than I was. And how many of you start your day with just this kind of blast of urgent emails, Slack messages, or whatever your day has waiting for you when you wake up and you open up your phone in the morning. It's true you can lead in that reactive mode to a small degree, but it's hard to be effective because you feel like you're reactive. You don't feel like a leader, right? You feel like you're just trapped in this uh, operational mode. Maybe it's a quasi-manager role a little bit, but it definitely doesn't feel like a leadership role. So the goal here is to start seeing yourself in a different way. Remember what I said on Monday, though. You can't change how you feel from the inside out. It has to come from the outside in, or at least that's how adults really learn, including, probably including you and definitely including me. Now, don't get me wrong. Most leadership books, including Ibarra's Act Like a Leader and Think Like a Leader, are really focused on higher level managers, directors, and so on. But there is still a lot you can do as a tech lead or first level EM. For example, if you're stuck in this bureaucracy, like I mentioned, rather than complaining about it, what could you do to be proactive about it? If there's some ops team that seems to stand in your way, could you be building a relationship now to smooth it, to smooth that, uh, that friction down the road? If there's some policy that you think is slowing you down, Are you sure the policy is true or is it just folklore? Have you ever challenged the policy? Have you tried to understand its meaning and its exceptions? I had something the other day where I was told the policy was X and I just kind of kept chipping away at it and it turns out X didn't apply at all. So sometimes you just have to hang on and just keep pushing um, and see where it goes. Um, If somebody on your team is underperforming, um, what could you do to step out of the day-to-day and, you know, the the storyboard or the tickets or the Trello or whatever, and try to maybe find something better for them to focus on that's something more strategic or something that's going to help mentor them down the road. 
If you know something big is coming, speaking of down the road, despite all the short-term goals you have today, would it make sense to stop those for a little while and get in front of these new challenges? When you do these things, the important point is, when you do these things, you're going to start thinking of yourself as a leader, and others will too. And as you start to see yourself in that way, you're going to be more inclined to take yourself out of the day-to-day reactive operational mode and start leading a little bit more. And you're going to have much better results. You can't analyze your way out of this. You just need to do it. Tech leads, you just need to do it. And then you can reflect. All right. Thanks for listening, Tech Leads. We're on a mission together. We're trying to figure out this tech lead role, this hands-on EM thing, this startup CTO quagmire where there's a lot of expectation and very little support, but lots of opportunity. So thank you for taking me on this journey with you. Got lots of stuff for you. As always, we got the free email list, got the Tech Lead Coaching Network, which is a peer-to-peer coaching support system I'm trying to pull together. If you're in LA with me, hit me up. We can grab some coffee or something or come to the Tech Lead Workshops LA once we get that rolling again. And finally, you can download my free ebook, How to Be a Tech Lead on LeanPub. Promise me you will download it and not read it for a minute until LeanPub tells you I updated it. Please, please, please. And no matter what, I want to hear from you. Drop me an email to me at michaelrice.com or hit me up on Twitter at Michael Rice. So it's Wednesday. We're halfway there, Tech Leads. Go out and make the most of this opportunity. That's a big step up in your career. You're going to do great. And I'm happy to be on this journey with you. Mm-hmm.